This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show, hosted by me, UNI Insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough. We're here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Great stuff ahead on today's show. Sean Ellertson of the Spectrum in Southern Utah. He's joining us to preview the UNI versus Utah Tech game in the Dome today at 4 p.m. Panthers looking for their first non-conference victory of the season so far. Jared Stansbury, then he joins us from the Cyclone Fanatic talking a little bit about his thoughts on where Iowa State football is and why they're struggling to win in Big 12 play. Plus, we're going to discuss that Jeremiah Williams injury. Of course, the transfer from Temple was expected to do some big things for the Cyclones this season, but he is out tore his Achilles within the last week. So tough stuff for Iowa State basketball fans. But first... As you've heard me say before, we wouldn't be an Iowa-based sports talk show if we didn't talk about the Iowa football offense. And this team, this staff, just continues to dig themselves a deeper and deeper hole as weeks progress. And Wednesday's presser with Brian Ferentz making an appearance, it's just getting to a point where it's embarrassing. And... I'm going to read you some quotes and and tell you what I think. And if you have any thoughts on this, feel free to message us on the KOEL app as well while you're listening. Find uh, the tweet on Twitter, of course, and, and respond. We want to hear from you, of course. And so, first off, he was asked about the downside of trying Alex Padilla. And I don't know if this is in chronological order from, from the presser, but we're just going to go through things as I saw them, as I listened I took some notes and the first thing I want to talk about is what's the downs or yeah, the question was what's the downside of trying Alex Padilla and his response saying that he was trying, not trying to be flippant was what's the upside. (laughs) If you couldn't hear me do it, I just was just flabbergasted. I shook my head. My eyes got open. And every time I say that out loud, I get, it's almost like I get more surprised by the level of stupidity in that statement and the arrogance. Like, we're, we're all watching the same thing, right? Did you, are you, you're on the sidelines laughing, man. You're laughing because pr- I, probably just shooting the, the breeze on the, on the sideline, fine. Give him the benefit of the doubt. But when your defense allows nine points and you lose, there's a hell of a lot of freaking upside by going to your backup quarterback. And that's just the first thing. On top of that, I mean, sure, I've seen some people say that, well, I don't know why Alex would be offended by anything he said if you watch the whole whole press conference. Well, damn. I mean, when you're watching Spencer Petras out on the field and you think that he's better than me, I think that's enough to be offended. Padilla, 3-0 in his starts last season for the Hawkeyes. 49 completion percentage, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He's not He's not a good quarterback. Like, if I had the choice between Alex Padilla and you and I starting quarterback Theo Day, I'm taking Theo Day. You know, there's a level of experience there. He, we've seen a lot more of him, but I'm taking Theo Day. Arm talent there, accuracy. And Theo Day is, is fairly mobile. He knows when to run. I'm taking Theo Day every time. And... 
With that said, I would probably still want Alex Padilla over Spencer Petras at this point in time. Essentially, uh, well, he said it verbatim, is that the staff and I'm assuming more particularly Brian and his father, Kirk, know what Spencer is, and Alex Padilla is an unknown. And what I've said to a few of my friends that, that like the Hawkeyes that I've talked about this with is I'd rather have Joey Labus right now than Spencer Petrus. We don't know what Joey Labus is. We know what Spencer Petrus is. And Spencer Petrus is bad at football at this point in time. He has all the physical tools, but it's the yips over and over and over again. He can't get out of his own head. And there has to come a point where you say, yeah, this offense is awful. Let's switch it up a little bit. Get that backup quarterback in there. Because clearly, my father is too stubborn to fire me and I'm too stubborn to do anything, I'm just freaking shocked at how this is going. And I wasn't expecting to get this heated on this first segment of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk here on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. I mean, the, the quotes, they just continue from, from Brian Ferentz in this press conference. He said that he's not interested in making a change for change's sake and that Spencer gives them the best chance to win. How? How? How does he do that? I don't care about practice right now. Even if he's outperforming Alex Padilla in practice, maybe just he's a gamer. Maybe he's one of those guys that just shows up in games. Give that a shot because Spencer Petras isn't doing it for you right now. Yes, the offensive line struggles. Yes, you're young at running back. Yes, you've had injuries at wide receiver. But what good quarterbacks do is they figure it out. What good coaches do is they figure it out, and they're not freaking doing it in Iowa City. I'm not a fan of this football team, so I almost, I'm, I'm sure I can't even relate to how some, uh, some Hawkeye fans are feeling out there. What annoys me the most is the hypocrisy and the arrogance and the continued just digging your heels in when clearly the fan base knows that something needs to change and you refuse, refuse to do so. Everybody knows, except Ryan Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. Everybody. Literally everyone. Look at Facebook. Look at Twitter. Even Instagram, I'm sure. That's just photos and videos. I, it's it's mind-boggling. That nothing, nothing, zero, zilch has changed since the start of the season when you didn't score a touchdown against FCS South Dakota and you got seven points because of your defense and the luck of starting in South Dakota territory and getting that field goal. I saw people on Twitter that cover the Hawkeyes saying during that game, ah, it's time to give Alex Padilla a shot. Here we are, six weeks later, Alex Padilla hasn't seen the field one freaking time. One time. Joey Labus hasn't seen the field one time. Oh yeah, we know what Spencer is. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? How is this allowed at Iowa, the University of Iowa, a Big Ten football program that has, oh, if in case you weren't aware, they won 10 games last year. Well, guess what, Kirk? Open up a calendar because it's not 2021 anymore. It's 2022. We're six weeks into the season and you've already lost three games. You almost lost to FCS South Dakota State. Oh, my gosh. I just, 
like, what is going through your mind right now? Besides, uh, these people are pissing me off. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. That is literally the only thing that makes any sort of logical sense as to continue to do what they're doing offensively by putting Spencer Petras out there, by not firing Brian Ferentz. And he said, <laughs> the first one that killed me was he said there was not, there's not one clear thing going on. That's, that's our issue uh, offensively. And um, somebody responded to that on Twitter and said, somebody bring him a mirror and, and put it in front of his face. <laughs> because, like, there's only so much you can put on the players at this point in time. This kindergarten offense that I was running that is the worst in the entire country, literally. 131 FBS teams. Where does Iowa rank in terms of total offense? 131st. Talking about there's an unknown there with running with Alex Padilla or Joey Labus. What? What? The unknown is better than the known just by proxy. How could you even think to say that? Where does that make sense at all? We need to figure things out. We need to move forward. We need to figure out how we can move the football. Then do something different. How many times do you have to hear the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, literally, literally, by definition, insane. (laughs) Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator. Rutgers. You know who else's offensive coordinator got fired this year? South Dakota, just a couple days ago, the Coyotes. Started 1-4, and four, fired their offensive coordinator. You know who else's co- coaches got fired? Nebraska, Scott Frost, Colorado, Arizona State. If deciding to not, you know, before I, I get to the real issue of it all, in my opinion, I want to read you these statistics that's just going to drive home the point that Brian Ferentz has no idea what the blue hell he's doing. And this whole, oh, Spencer Petrus is known, what's the upside thing makes him sound even more stupid. I'm going to read this to you. Out of the 131 FBS teams across the country, Iowa ranks 105th in yards per completion, 107th in tackles for loss allowed, 109th in sacks allowed, 111th in possession, excuse me, in time of possession, 120th in passing offense, 125th in passing efficiency, 122nd third down conversion percentage, 126th in red zone offense, 127th in scoring offense, 127th in rushing offense, 131st in fourth down conversion percentage, and 130 first in total offense all of those stats triple digits the highest one they ranked 107 excuse me 105th which was yards per completion not a single one in double digits all triple digits 105th to 131st at what point do you fire this guy what does it have to take what does he have to do kill someone because at this rate i don't know what else you have to do to, to get fired. It's like he's not trying. What the hell? To me, if deciding to not fire Brian Ferentz at this point in time, after all those statistics I just read, if it's at this point in time about anything other than football, you fire him. If Kirk hasn't done it because he's his son, he shouldn't have been hired in the first place. 
It's his job to make the offense go, and it's clearly not working. If it's about money, if you're worried about money, the near, mil, I believe, million dollars he's going to make this year from the Iowa football program, maybe use some of those ticket sales that won't be around much longer if you keep Brian Ferentz on the staff. If it's because Gary Barta is so worried about how Kirk will take it, if Gary steps in, tough stuff, man, you're his boss. You're the head of the department. How do you sit on the sideline and say, yeah, I trust this. 131st, literally dead last in the entire country, including every single group of five school. This is good. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Freaking what? How? I don't know. Like, there has to be a point where Brian looks at himself in the mirror on top of what he said of feeling like I can't go home and look to my kids and 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 face them if I quit. I just, at what point can Kirk go home, look at himself in the mirror and say, my son is not doing his job and we need to move on. Especially going against Ohio State in a week. By week this week, they're taking on Ohio State, number two team in the country next week. I believe that's in Columbus. They are going to get throttled. I will be utterly shocked, completely and utterly shocked, if Iowa scores a single point. The only way is if there's a, you know, a ball popped up in the air and Cooper DeGene grabs it or Riley Moss grabs it and runs it for a touchdown. That's the only way. The only way. They are going to get obliterated. Because this defense will do its job, but the offense is going to be so bad that I'm sure Ohio State has the ball (laughs) like 35 minutes, 40 minutes of the game. Seriously, it's that bad. This is just embarrassing. And on top of of it all, with, with all of that level of irritation I just shared, the level of arrogance to look at the fan base regularly and say, no, we're not going to fire him. The level of arrogance and the level of, <laughs> I suppose it's it's arrogance tied into this, but what they're doing right now is looking at the Iowa fan base and saying, you're stupid, I'm smart, we're going to figure it out. Bull crap, that just makes you look like a jackass. Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz making themselves look like jackasses right now. That's what's happening. It's embarrassing. And to you Hawkeye fans, I'm sorry you got to watch this. We're going to move on to this next segment here with Sean Ellertson of the Spectrum joining us to preview Utah Tech versus UNI in the Dome today at 4 p.m. Stick around for that next segment with me, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL and KOEL.com. UNI is coming off a second home loss of the season, falling to Illinois State 23-21 in the Dome last Saturday. As we discussed with Ethan Petrick of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. So if you missed that, go check that out. That's from Wednesday on on all platforms, YouTube, as well as uh, podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. But the Panthers are back at it today at home at four as they take on Utah Tech, the Trailblazers, for the first time ever. On to preview that matchup with us now is Sean Ellertson 
of the spectrum in Southern Utah. Sean, I've heard several people just straight up say they've never heard of Utah Tech. So (laughs) with that said, give us a lowdown on the Trailblazers, who the program is, what their culture is like, what they're known for. Fill us in. Sure. Uh, Maybe part of that reason is because they had a name change. They were formerly Dixie State up until last year. And actually, it's kind of funny, uh, their basketball program, you mentioned people don't know where it is. Jay Billis last year, Gonzaga, they played Gonzaga as Dixie State. And uh, I think Sean McDonough asked Jay Billis if he knew where Dixie State was, and he said he had never heard of it. So there are a lot of people out there, and if Jay Billis doesn't really know where school is, I'm sure a lot of other people don't. Um, but in terms of the program itself, they're in their third year of Division I uh, competition. They made the jump up from D2. They were in the uh, Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference for a while. Um, so they're still growing as a program, especially at that division one level. The record is what it is because they're still trying to get that, you know, size, that division one size, speed, athleticism, the things that you need to really compete, especially in the WAC when you have teams like Sam Houston state and Tarleton and Abilene Christian and some pretty good programs. So, uh, even Stephen F. Austin. So, um, definitely still building as a program. Uh, Paul Peterson has done a pretty good job of getting these guys ready. They've played everybody tough so far in their schedule. It's, you know, the record is what it is, but, They've played teams tough. They played Sacramento State. They had a terrible first quarter. And then the next three quarters, they hung right with them. If you eliminate that first quarter, the final score of that game is 35-33. And so they were right there with the top five team. They had a good half against Weber. They were down by 10 at halftime. And then the offense kind of fell apart and Weber pulled away. But once again, that's another top five team. So the, the signs of progress are there. And so on that timeline of getting close to being at the level of some of these other Division One programs, where are they at? Maybe give us a, a one to 10 scale or zero to 100. Where are they, are they at? Do you think? I don't know an exact number, but they, they have a, they have a ways to go. And I think part of the reason why they have scheduled such tough teams last year, they played UC Davis. Um, they played a bunch of really tough non-conference teams and they know that to get to where they want to be, they have to realize where they have to get to and playing these teams. Right. So you can't tell how good, FCS is going to be if you don't go up against Sam Houston. Obviously, that's a whack opponent for this year until they move. But you have to play those higher teams to get an idea of as to what it takes to get to a national championship contender level. So they have a while to go. But like I said, they, they've played teams tough. They've played two top five teams well for at least half the game. And they still have Stephen F. Austin coming up. They still have Sam Houston coming up. So there will be more tests and more opportunities for growth. And that's really what this is about talked to Paul Peterson at the beginning of the year before games even started. And I asked him, is this year where you want to start seeing some tangible growth, some tangible results for this program in your third year? He's like, yeah, we pretty much want to start to see the wheels start to turn here in year three, whether it's record wise, which once again, hasn't been there or just production and, you know, just feeling more like a division one program. And and so far, I think they have done that. And, you know, I think it was right around the time where Dixie State at the time uh, shared that they were going to be moving to Division One, that they signed that contract with UNI to do a home-and-home. And And so clearly clearly signing up to to try to play some of the best of the best of the FCS obviously doesn't show in the record this year for UNI so far. uh, Traditionally, sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Go ahead. Yeah, the Missouri Valley Conference is a great football conference anyway. So even, you know, UNI's record isn't great. You guys are playing teams like Missouri State and all those guys. So the level of competition is there. Right, exactly. And, and you and I, you and I, one of the traditionally better programs in the country. Um, and, and so 
as we're talking about Dixie State here, oh, well, Utah Tech, my, my apologies, Utah, Utah Tech here. Uh, they have yet to win a Division One football game this year. Uh, beat Shatteron State 56 to 10. Where's the mental state of the team right now? Are they trying to take it one one game at a time? Or, or do they feel like they're moving in the right direction as the season has progressed? Yeah, I think they do think that they are moving in that right direction. Um, like I said a, a number of times already, they've played teams tough. They should have beat Abilene Christian. They were up at the half. And then uh, Victor Gabalis was 7 of 13 at halftime, finished 12 of 34. He's not usually their starting quarterback. They faltered in in you know run defense in the second half. So they should have won that game. And after that game, you could tell that they were pretty dejected. They had a chance to win that game and just couldn't. So, but I do think they're in that right track. That shattered state game is really weird. They were neck and neck at halftime. And then Utah tech got a pick six from Cajun Smith Begrevich and the whole game flipped. They had four turnovers in the second half and wound up blowing out shattered state, taking care of a division two team that they should have. So, but yeah, they, there's, they're still taking it one game at a time. There's no loss in the locker room. Guys are still showing up competing. Uh, there's still faith in Paul Peterson. They gave him a five-year contract extension at the beginning of the year. So there's no worries there. So the guys are still showing up, playing hard. It, you know, it's tough making that Division One jump. Uh, and, and as we're talking about that that record and, and where they're at in terms of health, one thing we definitely have to talk about is where the team is at offensively. Obviously, coming off that bye week, Kobe Tracy didn't play the, the week prior. And then there's Victor Gabalas, who you've mentioned a few times. I'm assuming Trace was Tracy out with an injury. What what's going on there? Yeah, so I don't know if it's the same injury. They've played this really tight lip. So against the Weber State game, he took a beating. It seems though like every time they dropped back to pass, he was getting hit, flushed out of the pocket, sacked, whatever the case might have been. And his last throw of that game, he short armed his target by about five yards and grabbed right for that pectoral shoulder area. And so he missed the rest of that game, but played the next week at Southern Utah. But once again, took another beating against Southern Utah. They pulled him a couple of times in the second half. And then when I showed up to the game against Abilene Christian on Saturday, I assumed that Kobe was getting the start. There was no indication that he wouldn't. So when I showed up and got into the press box about 30 minutes, uh, 30 minutes ahead of kickoff, I found out that Cabalas was starting. And so on the two deeps this week, Cabalas was listed as the starter and Kobe was the backup. And so I'm not sure who you'll see. I'm assuming we'll see Cabalas to start. I don't know how Kobe is feeling. I don't know if it's that shoulder area that he was grabbing at. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm sure we'll see Gabala start. I don't know if you'll see Kobe Tracy in any capacity. You might see some Boone Abbott in there as well, the third string quarterback who can use his legs. Maybe they try and work him in there that way. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, decision on Saturday as to see if, if Kobe's ready to go. In regards to Gabalas, I mean, just looking at the stats, it's been a rough season for him so far. I believe it's 33% completion percentage. I think one touchdown to seven interceptions, something to that effect. He's a Washington State transfer. Has it been learning the system? Has it been the the offensive line struggles? What's going on with Gabalas and and why why are the, the struggles there? It it's a mix of things. It's not the system. The system isn't the issue. Sometimes it is the offensive line just not giving him time and he's forcing things, but other times it, it's just bad reads. They Against Sacramento State, he had, I think, three interceptions in the first quarter. One of them was a pick six at the goal line that went for 98 yards that really flipped the game on its head. It was a 14-point swing, and then he threw another pick right after that, and after that, Kobe Tracy was in. And so Gabal started that game. Kobe wasn't the starter at the beginning of last year and then worked his way up the depth chart and started the last handful of games and played well in, in those games. So... It was kind of surprising to me to see Gabalas get that 
start uh, on the first game. But once Kobe got the the reins, he took it and ran with it. And he was really good until that Weber game and, and the Southern Utah game where he, he was clearly not 100%. But with Gabalas, just that first game that he had an interception late against Abilene Christian that was deflected at the line, I think, or, or tipped. Um, and it was in garbage time. So it didn't really matter to the impact of the game. But like you said, the numbers haven't been pretty. And so it's going to be huge to see if he gets to start and if he can play to a level where Utah Tech can hang in the game because you and I is a team that doesn't beat themselves. And so you can't beat yourself with turnovers and interceptions like Victor has done so far this year. And you and I have shown this this year that they'll capitalize on on turnovers. Um, obviously, Wu Governor with two pick sixes in one game back to back against Western Illinois. He leads the team with three interceptions so far. Um, now, there's like I've said, you and I, the the record doesn't reflect the level of talent on this team. The defense has not been traditionally or been what it has traditionally been, but there is still a drastic amount of talent on on the defensive line especially Devin Rice uh Caden Hotelling Christian Boyd of course the the more notable names on the defensive line because of that level of play and what you've mentioned of the offensive line for Utah Tech do you would you as a Utah if you were a Utah Tech fan would you have a level of concern going into this game again that he's going to get that whoever's at quarterback is just going to get throttled yes I would I would have a, a concern with that it's kind of weird because Weber's so good defensively and you in Southern Utah has been good defensively too, but not, they're not on Weber state's level, obviously. So it, it's been a mix of defensive line talents that have really given them troubles. Like you, Weber state's way up here, Southern Utah's, you know, not quite at that level. And I would definitely be concerned, uh, especially if the offensive line can't hold on to their blocks. And if you and I brings pressure, Victor's not bad with his legs. He can make plays with those legs. He'll he'd prefer to sit in the pocket and, and make throws from the pocket where he's comfortable. But uh, yeah, that offensive line is a concern. And, and with Kobe, Kobe, I think one of his best traits is when he's on the run, if, especially if he's rolling out to his right side, he's able to throw a pretty accurate ball on the run. So he's able been able to escape some pressure and make some plays down the field with his legs, extending the play, rolling out of the pocket, or even, you know, he's, he's not the best athlete in the world, but he'll pick up some yards with his legs if he needs to. So, and maybe that's by, uh, you know, a force of the offensive line that they're they have to do that but I I think there is some level of concern going forward with the offensive line there's been a lot of of different ways the offensive got has gone about things I mean it's 30 plus times throwing the ball just about every game but then you have that stud running back in in Quali Conley uh he appears to be a dude as as far as I can tell the the bit that I've been able to see what uh can you tell us about his his style of play what's been proven to to, to work for him and the Utah Tech offense with him at running back. Yeah, you said it. Quali Conley is a dude. He was a backup last year for Drew Canelli Robles and has really stepped up. And he showed flashes in the COVID season and then last season as the backup. And this year, he's just taken it to a new level, really got on the ground, or bad pun there, but you know, really got it going against Shattern State with, I think he had 150 rushing yards and three touchdowns and then had a really good game against Abilene Christian. I'd like to see them use him more. He's only gotten 20 plus carries in two games. And that we've mentioned the offensive line already. If they're not able to block in the pass game, taking pressure off of whoever's under center, give Quali the ball. He's proven to be able to get tough yardage. And Quali is a guy, he's a pretty solidly built running back. Um, 
maybe not breakaway speed, doesn't shy away from contact. I think one of his best traits is his vision. A couple of times the offensive line, especially in the middle, has been plugged up and he's been able to bounce it outside and pick up 10, 15 yards. So his vision is something that I've really been impressed with watching him this year. And he's really taken strides. And uh, Coach Peterson and the staff are really, really high on where he is uh, and where he can get to. Uh, last thing for you, how about the defense? What's what's their base? Do they like to blitz? Is it bend, don't break? What's the philosophy for the for the Trailblazers defense? It feels like a bend, don't break defense. They give up a ton of yards and a ton of points, but there's talent there, so it's weird. They don't bring a lot of pressure, and they don't get a lot of pressure. They've only had three sacks on the year. Two of those are from Cyrus Webster, and Cyrus got injured last game against Abilene Christian, was listed as uh, a backup uh, on the two deep this week. So I don't know if – You'll see him when you'll see him kind of same thing with Kobe up in the air, going through protocols, that type of stuff, but they don't get a ton of uh, breaks defensively. Uh, they, their two best players are uh, Tyrell Grayson and Darius Nash. They're two safeties on defense are the two best players. Tyrell's a stud. They're really high on him and where he can be as just a redshirt sophomore. They have a senior linebacker, Malaki Malaki, who's kind of the heart and soul of that defense may not make an, an impact play. You might not get a sack or an interception or, I don't even think he has a tackle for loss, but every time you'll see he is rallying to the ball. He's always in on the play and they really respect his leadership there. He knows what he's doing. So it is an interesting defense. They give up a lot of yards and they're still getting there, but there's talent at all three levels, whether that'll be on display. Uh, I'm sure you'll see a ton of Tyrell Grayson. That's, that's the one guy who is going to make a play um, either in the defensive backfield with an interception. I think he has a sack in the air and a couple of tackles for losses. So they'll move him all up and down and he'll make play sideline to sideline at the line of scrimmage downfield. So that's really one guy to look out for on the defense. Perfect. Great stuff. He is Sean Ellertson from the spectrum in Southern Utah at Sean Ellertson on Twitter. First time appearance. Solid, man. You did a great job. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah not a problem. One more thing. One more thing to look out for is Joey Hobart, the wide receiver had four, 100 yard receiving games to start the year last or two weeks ago against Abilene Christian didn't get to that marker. Uh, but he's made play after play for that offense. He's their best offensive player. So look for him to get back over that 100 yard marker this week and look for him to maybe make a player too that leaves you wondering, how did he make that catch for a kid who's, you know, five eleven on a good day. So watch out for Joey Hobart. Sean Ellertson, making sure we touch all the bases before he gets out of <laughs> here. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And stay right here on AM950KOEL and KOEL.com because we have Jared Stansberry coming up next here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk to talk a little bit about Iowa State taking on Texas this weekend, what their struggles have been amid the Iowa offensive difficulties as well. And then Jeremiah Williams, who's a point guard transfer from Temple, was supposed to help out the Cyclones on the court this season, but just recently tore his Achilles. So Jared and I are going to talk a little bit about that. Stay right here on AM950KOEL and KOEL.com for more Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Amid all the struggles that face Iowa's three state schools in football right now, Iowa State has yet to win a game in the Big 12 Conference. It's going to be that much harder this weekend as the Cyclones take on number 22, Texas, in Austin. On to talk with us now on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950. KOEL is Jared Stansbury of Cyclone Fanatic. Jared, one of our first guests here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, joining us about 30, 35 episodes later. Jared, before we get to Iowa State, uh, almost everyone in the state of Iowa is sort of entrenched in this Brian Ferentz Iowa offense stuff, including myself. Uh, that first segment, I, I kind of went in on, on on that whole situation. 
What's your perspective of it all as someone that that covers Iowa State? I mean, I just think that – I mean, I feel like you have to be disappointed to see someone who is just so unwilling to make changes, you know. And, and I, I think my biggest thing is it'd be one thing if they – looked like they were trying to do different things knowing and were conscious of the fact that they are not very good you know it that's what I think is annoying about it as someone who or if I was a fan like if I if I was an Iowa fan I would be annoyed by the fact that they just don't seem to try and even do anything different they don't do anything that looks any different than what they're doing right now like even if they're going to continue to play the same guys why don't they try anything different you know it's just always the same thing and then when you hear your offensive coordinator come out the, and say things like, what's the upside about playing with your backup quarterback like that, <laughs> that to me just sounds like, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's almost like giving up, you know, like what, what's the point of even trying anything else, you know? And I don't understand how you can sit there and say, what's like, what's the upside? Like everything is the upside. You're like, you're the worst offense in the country, literally the worst offense in the country anything is better you know so that's where i mean what's the downside like you are you're even worse like i don't know how can you be any any worse <laughs> you know <laughs> so i don't know that's kind of where i come from is I, I just i don't know i just don't understand that and i i mean i feel like if you're alex padilla or you're i mean even joey labus i don't know like i mean maybe you I, I can appreciate Brian Ferentz being honest and saying, yeah, like Joey Labus isn't in position to play or whatever, you know. And I mean, I get it, but I think too, if I was, if I'm that player, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, my coach really must not have that much faith in me if he's going to go and say these things, you know. And if you, I, I just don't know how you can have that trust in your coaches to do the right thing for you if they're going to go and say that in the media. That just doesn't make any sense. Now, I imagine if uh, there's anybody that has a pulse on what the Cyclone fan base is feeling about that whole situation, it's you. And if I had to guess, having grown up in Iowa my whole life, Iowa State fans love this right now. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I don't know. I (laughs) I think everybody at this point just dislikes him so much, you know, that it's I mean, it's funny you know, to Iowa State people that that they're going through this. But I think even from my perspective, like I don't care if Iowa wins or loses at the end of the day, you know. I mean, I think the state's more fun and football in the state's better, obviously, when they win, you know. And I think that whether Iowa or Iowa State – or when Iowa State and Iowa are both good, like that is good for the state of Iowa, you know. So to see things like this happening and where you – you sit and you and you see the state of Iowa kind of become a laughing stock. That's what's, I think that's what's frustrating. I don't know because it just we play better football than that in the state of Iowa, you know, and that is just it. It almost does a disservice to the level of football I feel like we play in the state of Iowa. And you think about the high, the football at the high school level, how much better that's getting, how many more prospects were put punting or like pumping out of our high schools and. You know, there's more kids from Iowa that are going to play Division One football than there ever has. And then our division, like our one Division One, you know, the bigger of our two Division One programs, the one that is probably more recognizable, plays in the Big Ten, all that stuff, becomes a laughing stock. That just is like, come on, man. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be like Nebraska, you know. Right. Uh, and, I mean, I grew up a Nebraska fan. So when I say that, I mean, I, I'm saying it from – 
perspective of like I I like when Nebraska is good too because it makes the Midwest makes Midwest Midwestern football more fun. Uh, and to not, I don't know. It's just you don't want to see things like that happen, and it makes Iowa State's record work look worse. Where that Iowa win doesn't look as impressive, you know. And then you can always have where Iowa fans will be like, "Well, yeah, it took Iowa having their worst offense in Power Five history for Iowa State to win the game," you know. Yep. So that, yeah, all in all, it's pretty funny because it just is like being proven a lot of the things that people have said for a long time, you know. And but at the same time, I can appreciate like Kirk Ferentz has done a I mean an unbelievable job at Iowa over his time and won so many football games why would you let this be the thing that spoils all of that and leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth when his career ends exactly so we'll flip now to your beat covering the Iowa State football basketball taking on the Longhorns this weekend uh Iowa State does have that record of three and three too it's they're not without their struggles without their faults Obviously, for the Hawkeyes, it's the offense. Is there anything in particular about Iowa State and and how the program, how how they're playing football right now, that is driving fans nuts um, in Ames? I mean, it's offense. (laughs) It's the same conversation, basically. Not, (laughs) it's it's not quite the same because I I think, I mean, obviously, both teams are inexperienced. I think it's in some spots offensively, but I think for Iowa State, the biggest the biggest concern right now is just they are you can see how close they are to being really good, you know, and you can see the flashes of, uh, of their ability. And, and they'll have these moments where it's like, man, like if they can put this together, they could be pretty good, you know, but they're just really, they're just inconsistent in being able to do those things for long stretches of time, you know, where it'll be, you're able to put together a, a drive where you get a couple first downs, you're feeling pretty good completed some passes seems like you've really got your timing you're able to get into a little bit of tempo and and go start going a little bit faster hunter deckers is looking good uh you've maybe ran the ball a couple times got four or five yards and then they'll get a false start and it'll be first and 15 and now you're behind the sticks and now you're in a position where you've got to press a little bit more uh and then defenses have started to where they'll play way deep over they'll play deeper over the top they'll force you to throw the ball short and they'll just keep things in front of them and they'll say and they've started to say basically to hundred acres, like you're going to have to dink and dunk this thing all the way down the football field. And that's, you know, obviously they had the drive against Iowa, the 99 yard drive. That was, if they were able to replicate that now, they probably would be at least five and one, you know, I think that they probably win that Kansas game. They probably, and then they win last week against Kansas state, but against Kansas, you're, you're able to only put the ball in the end zone one time. And then you miss, you know, you have the three missed field goals, which I, you know, missed field goals happen. Like, I think at the end of the day, you shouldn't have to rely on your kicker when you're able to get that deep into into Kansas territory as many times as they did. You got to be able to put the ball in the end zone. You know, last week, Jace Gilbert, you got to tip your cap to him. He was able to go three for three and uh, was all of their scoring in that game. But at the same time, you got to be able to go put the ball in the end zone. You don't win the game because you can't score one touchdown, you know. And in this league, you're not going to win if you can't score one. If you can't go and score one touchdown, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. If you can't go and score a touchdown, you're not you're not going to win ever, <laughs> hardly in this league. And, uh, you know, before I, I looked this up a couple of weeks ago, Iowa State's now lost three uh, three games in Matt Campbell's tenure where they scored 13 points or, or allowed 13 points or less, 14 points or less. And two of them are in the last two weeks. And then the other one was against Iowa in uh, whatever that would have been, 2018, the 13-3 to game at 
that was Iowa State's season opener after their first game got canceled. Uh, and so that's where the that's where I think the disconnect is, is that Iowa State's defense is really good. It's just as good as it has been every year, you know. But they can't score, and now you can't take advantage of the fact that their defense is holding people to 15 points or 13 points over these last couple of weeks. And again, you win these last two games, you're five and one. You're going into this game against Texas looking to get uh, bowl eligible. You still have a chance where you could, you know, move up in the Big 12 standings and be a contender to go to the Big 12 championship game. Uh, But instead, you've got that sour taste in your mouth. You're playing a team that's really talented, that obviously has a lot of of great players at at the skill spots on offense and um, and is playing really well right now. So, you know, it's going to be it'll be interesting to see just because I think if one if the good version of Iowa State, that team that we saw on that 99 yard drive and they can put a couple of drives like that together, Iowa State can make a good run at Texas tomorrow. But I just don't have much confidence that they're going to be able to string that together. I think they need a bye week to kind of get that thing, get those details cleaned up just a little bit. Again, we're talking with Jared Stansbury of CycloneFanatic.com here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. So you mentioned that game this weekend, taking on Quinn Ewers in Texas. What do you know about Texas and, and what they'll bring to the table in this week's weekend's matchup, how they match up with the Cyclones? Yeah, I mean that offense is is pretty is pretty dang good. You know when they've got quarterback, Bruce has been. Uh, he's just so much more talented than some of these guys than like a Hudson card that they had last year. You know, or even a, a Casey Thompson. I think has shown. You know, he's shown he's still pretty good at Nebraska, but uh, I think that he was a, a good player before he got injured. But Ewers just has that elite arm talent that you don't see very often, and um, I think that you know they've got good enough receivers with Xavier Worthy and. Uh, you know, and then obviously they have one of the best running backs in the country and Bijan Robinson as well, as well. So it's just, it's a, it's a dangerous offense all over the field. And, you know, Matt Campbell said earlier this week, they've, this will obviously be the what sixth time that they've played against Texas since he's been here. And uh, he thinks that this is the best Texas team that they will have played uh, as far as uh, what that offense brings to the table. So um, I don't know, you know, I think, the good thing for Iowa State is obviously their defense is playing really well right now. And I think that they can – they're going to be able to keep Iowa State in the game. You know, I don't think Iowa State's going to come out and get beat like Oklahoma 49 to nothing. But uh, I, I don't know if the offense will be able to do enough. You know, I think the score probably be something like 31-17, somewhere in that range where, you know, maybe it's – you know, maybe it's a tie game at halftime, you know, right at one score going into uh, into the fourth quarter and then you just kind of run out of gas as a – you know, trying to make a comeback. Right. And, and as we're speaking here to continue that conversation about the, the Iowa state offense a little bit and going into this game is, man, it's just gotta be frustrating when you have talent like Xavier Hutchinson, who is arguably, if not the best receiver in the country. And then you got Jirel Brock, who has shown flashes, like you mentioned, Hunter Deckers, who's a freak athlete. I, I think it's, Maybe not common sentiment that that he has the higher ceiling than than Brock Purdy. That's the way I know a few people see it. Um, but to to have that and to know that your defense is going to be out there, I'm I'm sure generally speaking, I think Iowa State fans it feel at least feel like they're they're going to compete going into this weekend, but don't feel like they're going to pull it out. Yeah, and I I think the frustrating thing right now for this offense is, you know, Xavier Hutchinson is again he's a like you said. He's a really, really good player. He is as good 
or maybe the best receiver that Iowa State has had since I've been covering the team, which is crazy to say because of how good some of the receivers that they've had have been over the last several years. He is getting targeted more than Alan Lazard was getting targeted when Alan was here. The problem that I think there is with that is that X's supporting cast is a lot better than what Allen's was. And that's nothing against the guys that Allen's, Allen was playing with because he was playing with some pretty good players, Marching Murdoch and uh, Trevor Ryan and some of those other guys. Uh, Matt Eaton were all pretty good players. But Jalen Knoll, I mean, is a guy that I think is has the elite level talent as well. You know, can be a really big time playmaker for Iowa State. Demetrius Stanley's another of those guys that I think can be a really good player for Iowa State and has shown flashes and you know really has elite speed, can take the take the top off of a off of a defense. And you mentioned Jirel, obviously he's been banged up here these last couple of weeks. That's really I think, you know, it took him out of the Kansas game after the first series. Uh he just didn't look 100 percent last week against Kansas State. The positive is I think they're going to get Cartavius Norton, the true freshman, back this week. He's been banged up since that season opener against Southeast Missouri. Uh, but he, you know, drew, drew rave reviews during um, during fall camp, and it sounds like he's a guy they feel will be a, a real difference maker once he's able to get back out there at 100%. So you hope you can get that run game going. If you can, that might take some of that pressure off of Deckers. I just think right now you have to figure out, you know, from the pass game perspective, last week, you know, they threw for 150 yards in the first half of that game against Kansas State. I think X got targeted, I want to say five times or not even, I can't even remember what it was. He was targeted the most by far, but then uh, everybody else got targeted almost as much, you know. And then in the second half, I think they threw 15 passes and 10 of them were intended for X. And that's where it's like, yeah, you got to figure out a way to spread the ball around here because defenses, they know where the football's going. It's going to get a lot harder for X to be able to get open. It's going to be a lot harder for him, even if they throw it short, for him to know that he can make a move and go and get a first down. So you just got to be able to figure out some of that balance. And uh, if they can do that, then I think that this offense, again, I think this offense has the ability and has the players needed to be pretty good. They just got to find some of that consistency. Before we let you go, Jared, we got to talk a little bit about Iowa State basketball. Some news came out this last, I believe it was last weekend. Was it Sunday? Jeremiah Williams. Last, last Friday, I think, actually. Last yeah, Friday. But yeah. Jeremiah yeah. Williams, transfer point guard from Temple, who we have talked about here on Cornstalk Sports Talk, tore his Achilles. What kind of blow uh, does does this deal to, to Cyclone basketball before the season starts? Yeah, I mean, I think you hate just anytime you lose a veteran player. You know, a guy that has obviously played it at, at, at a high level at the Division One level before was a good player, a starter at Temple the last two seasons, um, and was and you know was a productive player at Temple. So uh, I think, you know, I think they feel pretty good still about where they're at at the point guard spot. I mean, is it ideal to have two freshmen being the most likely guys that are going to have to play the majority of those minutes? No, but. I mean, they already had they had a true freshman last year, too, you know, and uh, then they only had really one guy who could play the point guard, you know, and he had to play a ton of minutes. So I think you hope that with Taman Lipsy and Eli King, you know, that they between the two of them, they can make it work. And, you know, I don't know that either one of them is going to be a guy that's going to play 40 minutes. But if you can get 20 really good minutes from both of them, I mean, then I think you have to feel good about that spot still, you know, and everybody on the team loves. I mean, they love both of them and what obviously everybody in the program it raves about both of them, what they bring to the table. 
But I talked a lot of it with with all the guys on the team about Tim and Lipsy the other day and just what he brings to the table. I, obviously, I, I got an opportunity to watch him play a lot in high school just for from being at Ames and going to and watching different games and things like that. And the thing that always impressed me so much about him is he is just a winner, man. Like he just goes out and wants to win. And he's not going to be the guy that on any given night's going to come and give you 20, you know, but he's going to try and get other people 20. And he's going to be out there on defense being a menace. He's going to be getting after people, really locking up the ball, uh, you know, can create some – force some turnovers in that way. And then he just makes plays. And he's just a smart player, you know, and he's the guy that's going to go and get on the floor. He's going to go take charge. He's going to do those kinds of things. And just as a, a gritty player that uh, – just makes winning plays. I think when you can have a guy like that as your, you know, kind of maybe he could be your freshman spark plug kind of, and then Eli maybe is a little bit more of a come off the bench and be a scorer type of guy. I don't know. I don't know what how it'll work out, but I think they still have some interesting pieces there. And then you have Jaron Holmes as well, who has played some point guard at some points in his college career. So uh, I think it'll work out where, you know, I don't think it'll be disastrous. Obviously you would prefer to have Jeremiah Williams, but I don't think it's something that you sit there and it's like, man, this season's over now because we lost Jeremiah Williams, you know. There you go. Jared Stansberry giving us the lowdown on Iowa State basketball, that Jeremiah Williams injury as well as Iowa State heading into this weekend against Texas. He's the managing editor of CycloneFanatic.com at Jared Stansbury on Twitter. Jared, we appreciate you hopping on, man. Yep, anytime, man. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this Saturday morning here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Of course, if you missed any part of today's show, you can always listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Both of these guest segments on the YouTube page as well. Just search Elliot Clough there on YouTube. And please, 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 while you're on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment. And if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe or follow. Leave a rate and review. That does really help us out a lot. I know I ran into a few people at UNI Homecoming that asked me how they could help out. That is a big one. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Elliot Clough there, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. Because I am Elliot Clough, and this was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com.